0: I wonder how many of you are traveling this uh, Thanksgiving week. I imagine that's probably where some of our brothers and sisters are this morning. If you've ever traveled with children, uh, I don't know if this only happens in America or around the world, you're used to your kids saying, are we there yet, right? Are we there yet? Now maybe that's because they are bored uh, as they travel, they're just anxious, anxious to get where they're going. Maybe it's because of the m- amount of enthusiasm that they have to see relatives, Maybe it's because they have to use the restroom. But kids are notorious at saying, are we there yet? They've mastered in that car ride what really, for us, is an essential quality. It's an essential quality that's needed for us in our Christian walk. It's a single-minded focus on the future. What's so natural for them, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet, is essential for us. Be focused on where our faith is bringing us. In Peter's letter to the persecuted churches of Asia Minor, God's messenger, the Apostle Peter, teaches a suffering saint how they are to sojourn. How they are to sojourn. Peter is transitioning in the section beginning in chapter 1, verse 13, from where he has been in verses 3 through 12. Verses three through twelve have been full of the indicatives of what God has done, and now begins a section of imperatives of what we are of what we are to do. From what God has already done to what we must now do. From what is true to how we should live in the light of that truth. verses 3 through 12 are full of the reasons we have to be thankful. And in verses 13 to 25, Peter's section, starting a section on how we are to continue in this journey. In a sense there there's Peter's rules for the road and the first one maybe you could paraphrase as saying we should be saying are we there yet? We never tell our kids in the back seat, can you please keep saying that? But that's exactly what we should be doing as Christians longing for the arrival of of Jesus Christ. So in verses 13 and 25, Peter tells us how we are to journey in this world in which we feel out of place. And we're going to look at the first of those commands in verse 13 this morning. We are to journey by fixing our hope on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter had been journeying on this road for 30 years, been approximately 30 years since Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. During those thirty years, Peter's eyes, though not perfectly, had been fixed on the return of his Lord. And so, let's listen this morning as he instructs us how we are to sojourn as aliens in this world. And to read to you First Peter one, verse thirteen to twenty-five. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one whom partially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled even as we read those words, the word that was preached to us. We thank you, God, in your grace that for many of us here this morning, that word was fruitful and you brought new life through your spirit as we heard the gospel and we responded in faith. And yet, as we've seen in previous weeks, Lord, we are distressed by various trials and we are sojourning here and we are aware that this world is not our home. We are thankful truly father that you keep reminding us that this world is not our home and you do that in so many ways as you test our faith as you show to us the validity of it we thank you god that we are um, preserved by your power through faith for that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and now today we want to uh, be encouraged we want to be exhorted we want to be admonished to fix our hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought to us when Jesus Christ returns. So help us, Father, as we learn how to journey together, Lord, that we would be taught from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. From 1 Peter 1.13 this morning, we're going to see four aspects of fixing our hope on the grace that is coming to God's people. Four aspects of fixing our hope on the grace that is coming to God's people. This message is essential because while we journey, we are distressed by various trials. The Apostle Peter has talked about those. The saints to whom Peter was writing was going through those various trials. They go through the same trials that we are currently going through. Some of them are physical suffering. Some of them are emotional trials. Some of them are fighting discouraging sins. But they were also going through suffering for their allegiance to Christ. They were ostracized for their faith. They were being slandered and, and maligned. So what would continuing in faith look like for them? How were they going to persevere? And that's where Peter goes next, verses 3 through 12. And we'll spend some time there, which is appropriate on this day, where we're rejoicing in everything we have to be thankful for. We will look back. and You'll see in verse 13, it begins with therefore. But really, I want to focus on the command first. So that is what we're going to focus on first, is the command to hope. In our New American Standard Bibles, it says, Fix your hope completely, where the ESV says, Set your hope fully. And we're looking at that command first because that is the main verb of this section. The command to hope is a central idea of verse 13. If you notice on your notes, I put at the bottom there this verse in both the, the New American Standard and the ESV. We've kind of looked in them, we, we are kind of split in which version. Uh, various ones of us use, but it's really important that we see both versions there because if you just have the New American Standard Bible this morning, uh, something is, is slightly obscured. If you read through that in 1 Peter 1.13, you see it there in, in the notes. It looks like there are three uh, commands given. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope. It looks like there's three commands there. But in the Greek, there is one command given, and it is the command to hope. Now, that doesn't mean that there's other uh, words, and we'll look at them. They do have a force to them, and really it's going to be how we are to hope. It is easier to see in the ESV, 1 Peter one thirteen. Again, these verses are at the bottom of your notes there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, by translating that way, it gives, this is how you do this, and here comes the, the key command. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the word hope here is not used in the sense of just wishing for something. Like a child is hoping that they get a certain present on their birthday or on Christmas morning. This hope is looking forward to something with confidence that it's going to come to pass. It's an expectancy of something that you are certain of. It's not just wishing, it's knowing. The sense of hope is not hoping that someone might compete in the Olympics and someday in the future. Hoping to compete in the Olympics. It is the hope that Usain Bolt has of winning the 100 meter. Right? Total confidence. So much confidence that as he's getting ready to cross the finish line, he's looking back to see who, Who's behind him at that point? He knew, he knows again and again, he's going to win that race. It's that kind of hope, that certainty. It's not like a desperate sailor who's lost at sea, hoping to someday put his foot on dry land. Now this is a sailor who knows exactly where he is and exactly where he's going, and he knows that, that coast is getting closer day by day when he's going to be reunited with his family. That is that hope. Not a lost at sea hope, but that longing, confident hope. I'm going to see my family soon. Now, the translators, and there is one word in the Greek for this hope, though they, the, the translators, both in the Numerical Standard and ESV, want to bring out that hope is, is the right word to use here, but it's missing something in English. So they translate this word as fix your hope or set your hope. Because simply saying, hope on the grace to be brought to you. It it just, in, in English, that word hope has too much wiggle room. There's too much wishing involved. There's too much lacking of certainty. Thus, they say, fix your hope. Set your hope. We could say, to anchor your hope on the grace to be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Superglue your hope. To the, on the grace to be brought to the revelation of jesus christ cement your hope fix your hope on that grace that is coming to you peter emphasizes this command to hope with the adverb and whether we translate that as completely or fully it is to have our hope entirely set on that grace coming to have it wholly set on that grace, finally set on that grace, resolutely set on that grace, not to hope haphazardly, or not to hope infrequently. Every once in a while, we're going to set our hope on that. Not to set our hope indecisively. Well, I was set my hope on that today, but I don't know where my hope's going to be set tomorrow. Currently, it's looking forward to the football game, or it's on the Thanksgiving break. It's on the holidays, it's on a promotion work. No, he says, set your hope fully, wholly, finally, resolutely. Let your that anchor be in one spot. You know, it goes against the idea of an anchor to try to anchor it in several spots. You, know, you just don't. You just don't try to anchor. It. Our hope is not to be a tugboat. You know, like, well, let's throw a rope to this tugboat for a while, and then this tugboat, and then this tugboat, just as we get... No, it's to be anchored in the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, with that singular focus. It's like an expectant mother waiting for the birth of her child after months of unpleasant pregnancy, followed by what they know is going to be an excruciatingly painful labor. Set your hope on the arrival of that child. Like the future couple who's counting the days, or I guess they're a couple, they're counting the days till they are married. Their hope is set on the thing that they know is going to happen. It's like the first time marathon runner, I've never done this, I can only imagine. I imagine that the first time marathon runner is, has a single hope, and that's to cross the finish line. Probably not even to, to do it well, just to get past it. It's like when you're in college, and you're cramming for a test, right? Your every thought is only for that next test. And when do you worry about the next test, when you finish that one test, right? And eventually you put all the energy into just getting past, and when you get to put your pen down, that's that full, single, fixed hope. If we fix our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we'll explore more what that hope is. We're going to have to forsake other hopes. Maybe they are even spiritual accomplishments. I think sometimes we can be so obsessed with defeating one besetting sin that that becomes our great hope. No, the great hope is the return of Jesus Christ. We can have our hope set on an accomplishment in this life, getting a promotion at work, or maybe... The salvation of our children or becoming physically healthy. A certain amount in our retirement accounts. There's so many things we can set our hope on, but if we're going to set our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to forsake those other hopes. It's only room for one life-dominating hope. Peter commands us to set our hope on the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ but he gives us plenty of motivation to do so. Really, that's what he's been doing for the last four weeks or so. We've been in verses 3 through 12. And he reminds us of everything in verses 3 through 12 with the first word of this verse, therefore. I had to teach the command first, because we're also therefore it doesn't make any sense. We're spending all this time, and we're like, well, what is this therefore Therefore, Well, now we know. We have to set our hope on what's coming, so now we have to look back. And It's encouraging. These verses are are, are brilliant, like if you are struggling with being thankful, these verses overflow with reason for thanksgiving. It's kind of like what Psalm 136 was for the Old Testament saints. This is like our Psalm 136 here. Here's the reason we are to set our hope fully on the grace that's to be brought to us. It's because what's already happened. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Because you have been born again by a Father who has great mercy, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because that hope is guaranteed for us, it's a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because Jesus Christ is living now, set your hope on the grace to be revealed. Verse 4, because we have this inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Set your hope because that inheritance is unbreakable. It's undefilable. It is certain. It is coming. You have that inheritance. You're just holding on till you receive it. Because you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Chapter 1 verse 5. That is why you are to set your hope. Because God is protecting you through his power, through your believing. It is because of what Peter says in verses 6 through 8. About our rejoicing though we're going through various trials. It's because of those being distressed by various trials that we set our hope on the grace to be brought to us. Imagine what we would do if we didn't have those trials. How quickly we'd forget to set our hope on that grace that's coming to us. We set our hope because we love Jesus Christ, and we long to be with Him, and we rejoice in Him with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We rejoice in verse 9 because we're obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That salvation is coming. We set our hope because this is what the prophets longed for, and it's ours now, but the fullness of it is on its way. We set our hope because we have been blessed by God to have heard the gospel and to believe it. And this is where that faith is leading us. We set our hope because the angels are on the outside longing to experience what we get to enjoy. It's for all of these things what has already been done for us that we set our hope, it is guaranteed, it is certain. What motive we have there to set our hope, what reason to hope. That's what the therefore is there. Our future is guaranteed, our inheritance is sealed in heaven, our salvation is coming, our Lord is returning, our reward is with him. verses 3-12, through Peter transported us to heaven where things are so certain. We travel to the future when we are with Christ. He took us on a journey in the past to see what the prophets longed for. We bravely stepped in those verses into the unseen spiritual world and saw what angels longed for. He did all of this to show us the certainty and the goodness of what we received and what we will receive so that we fix our eyes on it. It's good. It's coming. Therefore, because of all of that, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But that obedience is going to require more than a a reason. It's great to have that reason. There's a ton of reasons there. But it's also going to require discipline. And our hope requires discipline. So that's where we're going to look next. The discipline of hope. Back to verse 13. Therefore, and again, and this is the apportion in the New American Standard. It looks like he gives two commands first. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. And he's going to talk here about the discipline of hope. How are we going to set our hope fully? What's that going to take? You have 2 subpoints here. Hope requires mental preparation. Hope requires mental preparation. Prepare your minds for action. Or in ESV, it shows us that this is a supporting idea. It's a parsable phrase. Preparing your minds for action. This is something we need to do before that main verb of setting our hope. It's not a one-time only thing we need to do, but it does need to be done before we set our hope fully and the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you follow some of the notes in your Bible, you see that to translate this in the most literal way is a little weird. Girding up the loins of your mind. Girding up the loins of your mind. Don't don't spend too much time thinking of that analogy. Girding up the waist of your mind, the loins of your mind. It's a mixed metaphor there. To gird up your loins was a common practice in the ancient world. A long tunic would make it cumbersome at best and dangerous at worst to do some activities. You can imagine a toddler wearing their dad's t-shirt. That's just fine for toddling around the house. But try, you know, as an adult man fighting in that kind of long t-shirt or climbing in that kind of long t-shirt, running in that kind of long t-shirt, and so this is where they had the custom of girding up their, their loins. And Wayne Grudem describes what this was like. It's a custom of gathering up one's long robes by pulling them between the legs. So you, they're long robes. You pull them from between your legs, under, behind you, and over in front of you, and then tie them. I'm not going to model that. So a custom of gathering up one's long robes by pulling them between the legs, and then wrapping and tying them around the waist so as to prepare for running, fast walking, or other strenuous activity. We see this in, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18 to 46. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. It was God who enabled him for this long run, but he still needed to gird up his loins. He needed to get that long t-shirt, that long tunic, wrapped up around his waist. It was a picture for ancient Israel of preparedness. Exodus 12:11 talks about how they were to eat the Passover feast. This is before they left Egypt for the first time to go toward the Promised Land. Exodus 12:11 tells how they should eat this Passover meal. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. and you usually eat it in haste as the Lord's Passover. God was going to rescue them from Egypt at any minute. So they're going to sit there waiting and ready to go. It is a picture of preparedness. It's also a picture of preparing for a difficult task. Like in Job 38.3. Um, well, and you can hear this verse. It says, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. This is when uh, Job gets instructed by the Lord's by the lord and the lord says job this is going to be tough for you so you better get ready to get talked to like a man or jeremiah 117 jeremiah had that difficult prophetic task ahead of him God said to Jeremiah, Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. He's like, this is going to be really hard, Jeremiah. You have to be prepared. So in in today's language, we could say, roll up your sleeves. Maybe put on your man pants. Put on your game face. Get your mind in the game. It's parallel as putting on your gym shorts and your sneakers and going for a run. Let nothing hinder your mind as you put it to work. Put sneakers on your mind. Put a tracksuit on your mind. Get ready to do some work here, to exert some effort. You're going to have to prepare your mind. You won't be able to be lackadaisical about fixing your hope. It will take preparedness. Other portions of Scripture talk about this same activity without using that word picture. Part of it's in Romans 12, about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, having your mind transformed. Matthew 6, 33, verses 34 is another example. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. It's A good example there of girding up the loins of your mind, of mental preparedness. What are you going to seek? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and don't worry. Worrying is the opposite of this mental pr- 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 preparedness. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 me and Pastor John didn't plan this. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 is another example. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Get rid of those things that are going to stop you from running, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was an example of that mental discipline, of that preparedness. He fixed his eyes on the joy set before him as he endured the cross. And we have to fix our eyes on him. So practically, we need to be doing this daily. This is why we need to begin our day with prayer and meditating on God's word. Whether you open your Bible and have a sit-down quiet time, or just meditating on verses. It is that mental preparation that we need if we're going to fix our hope on the things that are above. We need to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel if we're going to fix our eyes on the grace that is to be brought to us. We need to be praying for God's kingdom to come. Really, the Lord's Prayer in, in uh, Matthew 6 is a great example of this mental preparedness. Our Father, who art in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. i got multiple versions going on there. Denying yourself, picking up your cross daily and following him is that mental preparedness he's talking about. Bringing your systematic theology to bear on your day, what you know to be true, what you learned about God in the Attributes of God series. Not just living your life, not just wandering Not just strolling along in your whole body t-shirt. Getting your shoes tied. Being ready. Appropriately evaluating eternity. The rewards that are coming. The length of eternity. The value of people's souls. Numbering our own days. Give me a heart of wisdom, Lord. Help me to know how long, not how many days I've got left, but how many are already gone. A sense of sobriety about life, which is where we're going next. Reorienting yourself daily so that you focus on what is truly valuable. That is how we prepare our minds for action. It's, it's the focus here is get ready to do something. But the preparation of your minds... One commentator says, this mental activity involves perceiving this world as transitory and orienting itself around the future hope that God will bring about the day of Jesus Christ. So as we look at in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2, what are the sins that are entangling you? What are the encumbrances What's been captivating your mind and your thoughts? What are the hamster wheels that you've been running on? This hope is going to require mental preparation, but it also requires the discipline of mental clarity. We have to be mentally prepared, but we also have to be mentally clear. And the New American Standard says keep sober in spirit. The ESV says being sober-minded. The word literally is the opposite of intoxication. It's used figuratively in Scripture, though. Not, not talking about drunkenness, although that would be an application of this. One lexicon describes it as the opposite of every kind of fuzziness. Whatever it is that makes your mind fuzzy, fudgy, fudgy fluffy, soft. It's being in control of one's thought processes and not to be in danger of irrational thinking. It's mentally sharp, clear-headed, alert, able to focus. There's a present parsable here. It means that this is something we do continuous at the same time as we set our hope, as we fix our hope on the grace to be brought to us. We have to be being sober-minded. Now, alcohol is not the only way to let our thinking get cloudy. Wayne Grudem describes it as letting the mind wander into any other kind of mental intoxication or addiction which inhibits spiritual alertness any laziness of mind which lulls Christians into sin through carelessness or just by default, quote. It's, it's, it's what we let in that makes us forget what our spiritual priorities are, what allows us to get sidetracked, other pursuits that get in the way. To be sober-minded is to reject thoughts and activities that make us numb to the grace that's to be brought to us. It just makes us less needy, less eager for the return of Christ, less hopeful. 1 John 2, 15-17. The Apostle John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are the kinds of, of things They get in the way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Mark 4.19, Jesus describes in the parable of the sower, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 26. What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's almost pointless for me to try to list the number of things that could leave you numb, that could make you fuzzy. Because I know what mine are. There's a long list of them. What leaves you numb? Now, that may be intentionally. It may be because you don't want to deal with the fact that you haven't been walking closely with the Lord. Or you don't want to give over a worry to Him. You don't want to submit to His Lordship in a certain area of your life. And you may be trying to be numb. Or maybe it's just because life is difficult. And just like Peter says, you have been distressed by various trials. And instead of turning to him, you're turning to fuzziness. Some of us do that passively, with hours of television, novels, alcohol. Some of us are more active. We throw ourselves into various hobbies, into exercising, house cleaning, or home renovations. We do this in different ways. It's all a kind of drunkenness, though, when it comes to setting our hope and the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you're sitting down with your smartphone, are you being sober-minded or are you getting numb? If we are going to set our hope fully, completely, wholly, resolutely and the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we need to be sober-minded. We need to have this mental clarity. We need to have this mental preparedness, this discipline of hope so that we can focus on, and here's some more good news, on the object of our hope. The object of our hope. We've seen the command of hope. We've looked at the reason for hope. We've seen the discipline that hope requires. Now let's look at the object of our hope. On the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace. He's speaking here about the future display of God's grace. The evidence of God's favor to us. Not deserved by us and not in any way dependent upon us. We know, we come this morning testifying as we take communion here in a little bit. We testify that our salvation is by God's grace alone. It's by because of what Christ did on the cross and not because of any effort on our part. We affirm every time we take that our salvation is by God's grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You have nothing to input into your salvation at all. No list of good deeds. No list of things you haven't done. No grading or comparing yourself to someone else. No justifying that you're a little bit better than the person next to you. Titus 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Both our past salvation, what we've already experienced, that that past tense of being saved, being saved by grace through faith, and our future salvation, the salvation that's coming to us at the arrival of Jesus Christ, is due to his grace. The grace that has been given to us, as much as the grace yet to be brought to you, the phrase, to be brought to you, doesn't, doesn't specifically say by whom. Peter loves these divine passives. It's God who does this bringing of grace. Again, it's a present participle here. It's vivid. It's appropriate to what is certainly future. This grace is being brought to you. It's on its way. That is what we set our hope on. It's not just some distant future event, a point in the future. It's being brought to you. It's kind of like, and I don't know if any of you have the Amazon app on your phone. You get a notification. Your package is nine stops away. You know, it tells you, and you, you can look and see how close it's getting. It is being brought to you. It's nine stops away. We don't know how many stops it is. So when are we to, to receive this hope that our grace is fully set on. Peter says, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the first time in Peter he's used that phrase. It's when Jesus makes himself known. When the curtains are pulled back and the Son of God arrives. When the clouds are pushed aside and Jesus returns. When the sun is unveiled. First Thessalonians four sixteen to seventeen describes a portion of this unveiling. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. That is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 describes him coming to judge when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed, and we are those who believe that testimony too. We are the ones who are going to marvel at the Son's glory. And it is both wonderful and transforming, and it is both terrifying for those who have not received grace. And so if you have not yet received this grace... What sobering words he deals out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That gospel must be obeyed. It's not just an a, a open door. He commands you to put your faith in him. Flee to him. If you are not yet saved, put your hope in Jesus Christ alone. You can have the wonderful privilege of being brought to him in the clouds and being transformed to be ever like him. Or you can be judged by him. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. The grace that is to be brought to you is as certain as the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is not going to keep Jesus in heaven forever, right? This is, it feels a long time. It's 2,000 years almost. That's nothing compared to eternity. The Father knows when the Son is coming back. There is a time set that grace is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So set your hope on it. It is certain. The Father would no sooner keep this future grace hidden than he would keep his Son hidden. Creation is groaning for that. Now, Peter has already described this grace coming to you in various ways. He describes it as that inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. He describes the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ that he gives to those who love and obey him. 1 Peter one nine describes it as the outcome of, of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That is that future grace. This grace is a transformation of our bodies. When we are freed from the curse of sin, from the physical effects of that curse on our body, but also from the temptation to sin, from that part of us that still remains that, that wants to sin, that meditates on a sin. Philippians 3, verse 20 to 21 describes this grace coming to us. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. When Jesus comes to subject all things to himself, he's going to fix us as well. Our bodies will be made like his glorious body. And this, and this is part of our hope. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That is that grace that is coming to us, our transformation, so that we will forever be as pleasing to the Father as the Son is. We look forward to the transforming of our bodies. We look forward to the Master's approval and the reward that he brings. That is part of that grace that's coming to us. When our master says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the grace that's coming to us. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. That's that grace that's coming to us. That's good news. That that, that that if you are in Jesus Christ, if he is your only hope in life and death, him coming to render you according to what you've done is good news. We look forward to that because your life has that harvest of righteousness. He's going to reward you for it. We look forward to the grace that's coming to us as the reign of our king. As we saw... In uh, Philippians, when God highly exalts his Son and bestows on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is the grace that is coming to us, that we get to participate and rejoice when God the Father gives on his Son for all creation to see the name Yahweh. The grace that's coming to us is the presence of God himself. The absence of any suffering. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne, John says, saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And that is the grace that is coming to us. That is what we are to set our hope on. This is what Jesus Christ will accomplish when he returns. What grace to be brought to us. What undeserved favor if your physical body is giving out on you, and they are, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are feeling the shame of how others have sinned against you, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are tired of being tempted, if you are tired of the allure of sin, if you are tired of being repulsed by giving into sin again and again, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are lonely in this life, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. If your heart is sick of the injustice surrounding you, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are tempted to throw in the towel in this Christian life, if you you are tired of being distressed by various trials, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are ostracized by the world, if you feel out of place here because you are exiles, because you are sojourners, because you are aliens, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are going through hardship because of your commitment to Jesus Christ, because of your willingness to make disciples. Because of your, 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 your desire to fulfill the great commission. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's going to take us forsaking all other hopes? We, we, we can't be distracted by all those other things. Whatever those things are in your life. Experiences and purchases and achievements and accomplishments and dreams for your children. Not that any of those things are bad in themselves, but we can't be distracted by them. If we're going to set our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have to pull up the loins of our mind. So what are you setting your hope on as you face trials? Because I know that you are. And I know that you are battling your sins. what are you setting your hope on? As you fight to say no to the flesh is it the grace coming to you we are not there yet but the triumphant king Jesus Christ is on his way he is coming let's pray a dear father thank you for the good news of this verse that grace is coming to us. And we come here uh, this morning um, torn, Lord, between, between what you've already done and between what hasn't yet arrived. We know it's certain because you are a God of grace. This promise is tied to your character. You, you, you Lord, you, you didn't have to have grace upon any of us, but you did. You didn't have to give your son as the punishment for our sins, but you did. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for the grace that is coming. You are a God of grace. You gave us grace, and you're going to finish what you began. Oh, Lord, help us to be resolute. Help us, Father, to be mentally prepared. Help us to be clear-headed and alert. Oh, protect us from so many distractions. Lord, help us to repent of those things that are encumbrances, those sins that are so easily besetting us, Lord, that are tripping us up. Refine our hope, Lord. Help us to be discarding and shedding off all, those, all these silly, little, transitory, passing hopes, Lord. And help us to anchor, not to it's a little passing tugboats, but to the one hope to the hope that is coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hearts call. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Oh, Father, bring your Son quickly. And yet, Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you, Father, for your patience towards our children. We thank you, Father, for your patience, even for those among us here this morning who have not made you their only hope we have not fled from false hopes to you the one true hope oh father you know the work that needs to be done in each of our hearts lord you know i'm convicted i pray by your grace others are convicted i pray lord that others are encouraged i pray that we all feel exhorted i pray that we would all long for your son for that grace that's coming to us we'd fix our hope completely on that future grace